Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Things Fall Apart, which is Chinua Achebe's 1958 novel about an Igbo family and clan in the late 19th century, right when what is now Nigeria was being formally colonized by the British Empire. So, uh, Tristan, why Things Fall Apart? Yeah, so um, for one thing, like what we are now calling the global anglophone um, in literary criticism and academia more generally, um, has sort of become central to my intellectual interests. Um, uh, certainly, my teaching, but but also to, to an extent, my research as well. Um, I, I want to acknowledge I always feel a bit like an interloper in this regard. Um, you know, this is a massive and you know it's super important body of literature, uh, and I, I kind of think that term, and you know, I think a lot of people would agree with this. That term, the global anglophone, is a bit unwieldy since it sort of has a tendency to collapse all literature written in English um, and particularly that of the global South, which is also a massive and very diverse geographic area into one field, uh, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, I mean, like tons of really great scholars are working in you know various regions within that. Um, and it's not like they've been sitting around waiting to hear what some rando 18th century is thinks <laughs> about their archive. Um, oh, come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, they've been on tenterhooks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the whole reason that I was, you know, ever drawn to the 18th century in the first place was was for what it teaches is about the origins of modernity, um, with empire and, and capital quite central to that. Um, so figuring out that trajectory and those sort of interlinkages is interesting and relevant uh, in interesting and relevant ways really demands thinking, I think, much more globally and transhistorically than, you know, like the old method of doing the 18th century, which is like the age of Johnson or, you know, the age of Swift or whatever the <laughs> fuck and boring as shit. And if you go to uh, the 18th century conference, there are still uh, a few who who hold to that model. Uh, <laughs> uh, boo. Um, but so like uh, one reason um, I, I, you know, I wanted to teach uh, uh, the course that Megan and, and I taught a couple of years ago on literature and citizenship, which went from from Shakespeare to Claudia Rankin, uh, you know, very much had to do with that, you know, thinking globally <laughs> and transhistorically. Um, so I was just, you know, I was excited to read and talk about Achebe on the show. So um, this is another like, why did I read this context free and high school novel? Um, also, I apologize if listeners can hear my baby hooting in the background. You might be able to hear um, my son hooting too. So, <laughs> I think they're like different. They're they're different like uh, scales of hooting. I'll start too. Why not? Cool. Yeah, it's just a it's a baby owl noise. Um, okay, so it is really interesting to think about like novels that I read without any context in high school with respect to like the process of canonization in secondary ed. Um, I suspect that this one is selected because it's it's quite readable. Uh, it's taken to be representative, and I put that in quotation marks, obviously. And I think it fulfills some kind of like liberal notion of like looking into a culture as that's something that you could like, first of all, get whole cloth from a novel and also that the word culture isn't like historically determined and whatever. Um, <laughs> we certainly don't read it because we are supposed to be critical of the entirety of the British colonial enterprise. Needless to say. Right. Right. No, uh, never. No, that's why <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't read anything for that reason. But I also took a couple courses on the African novel in college, um, the Francophone African novel and the Anglophone African novel. And I love those classes and the theoretical traditions that emerge from the field are super orienting and allow us to have all kinds of cool thoughts about the emergence of late, late, late 
possibly end stage capital. I hope. Um, <laughs> you wish. <laughs> yeah. I wish, right? Would, and would well, nice. and, yeah. Yeah. Um, and my college professor who taught some of those classes is like a very psychoanalytic oriented critic, and so I can't help but read this and be like very deep in my like Lacanian brain and have thoughts about like the word of the father. And that's like not, I mean, sometimes that's crazy, but in this book, I don't think it's actually that nuts. No. And you know, that like that, that also raises a, a, a you know, kind of makes me think uh, sort of an interesting feature of a lot of sort of like post-colonial theory, um, which is that like I do, and I'm not, I'm not at all resistant to like psychoanalysis, it just, but it just tends not to be my lens for thinking about literature. But like, you know, a lot of post-colonial writers, and I mean, the one that comes most immediately to mind is Franz Fanon, who was himself <laughs> like a psychoanalyst, um, like the, 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 the sort of like kind of political critique and like the ideas of the political subject, but also like this kind of psychoanalytic lens sort of go, or I, I don't know, they're not, they're not like as separated in that field as I think they are in, in, some other, um, uh, you know, kind of left literary context, which, which is in, I mean, that's, and that's, I think that in and of itself is kind of a, you know, a worthwhile thing to sort of think about. Oh yeah. And somebody like Omi Baba is always talking about psychoanalysis. Like there's tons of critics in that field who are like really embedded in psychoanalytic thought, which I think is like incredibly sexy, but I, I can already see Katie like (laughs) scrunching your face up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm, I also want to take a little time to give some thought to the phrase you use, which is Lacanian brain, which sounds like a horrible, horrible sex act that no one should, <laughs> no one should participate in. No, I think that that's something that we've all always already participated in. It's just that we have no memory of it. There's no. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be constitutive of us as subjects. There's no safe way to do it, though. No, that's true. No, it's like a rupture in and of itself. Wow, I'm like really out there. Woo. Okay, that's fine. Katie, why did you want to read it? Oh, uh, well, send in the clowns because I never read it before. So I was like, good thing I never read. Let's read it. I believe I talked last time about how there is no such thing as no, never read it shame. We don't believe in that. <laughs> Well, here's where the shame. Here's where the shame lies. I have pretended to have read it for quite some years now. <laughs> but Katie, that's that's graduate school, right? Yeah, that's like, graduate school. As, as as one of my first professors in graduate school told me, it's like it, it's not about learning. It's not about learning to read quickly or anything. It's about learning to pretend stuff that you have read. <laughs> yeah, I had a professor said who is something that says you read it. You say not recently. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like oh yes, I I for, I, I forget much of that. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, I did read it in the bathroom some years ago, but <laughs> you know. um, but this one's nice because uh, you can at least bullshit about the title because of the Yates, you know, it's just yeah. poems short, short. Um, and you also can just sort of nod and stroke your chin, which is m- the majority of graduate school, just look pensive and thinking. Um, so now I no longer have to participate in any of these hundred percent successful strategies because I have in fact read this book uh, the whole way through. Um, yeah, it's not even that long. <laughs> let me have my. Let me. You had your Lacanian brain. Let me have my success win moment. <laughs> um, so yes, I read the whole. I read the whole thing, and uh, it was glad I did it. Um, it was also quite depressing and um, really put me put me in the put me in the Hemingway feels. There's something there's something there. Uh, it's also like 
it's it's a book about it's a book about bad things. It's a book about <laughs> things falling apart. Um, th- yes, I'm I'm re- regressing to the my mode of pre pre reading. Uh, Megan, <laughs> if you want to psychoanalyze that, you're welcome to do so. <laughs> um, but by the time you finish it, you're like, yeah, no colonialism, like. Bleh. Uh, the the ending is like this awful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a really fucking like gut punchy ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and that's just like, oh boy. The other thing is there. There are also other moments of uh, just incredible violence in this, which are I, I didn't love, um, such as the part when our uh, shithead dad uh, protagonist lops the head off of a child out of manliness uh mm-hmm. wasn't the coolest but um you know fiction folks um there's also this the, the the dad part too really kept me kept me reading the dad but there are three books in this and the first two books are are real are real father-son dance books mm-hmm. um and what i learned from it is i've spent a lot of time dunking on shithead fail sons and i <laughs> neglected to shit on success sons oh they're and much worse yes they're much worse yeah <laughs> they're, they're much they're much worse so f- fathers uh as john mayer might say be good to your daughters and um <laughs> Also, just let your kids be fuck-ups and podcasters if they want to, and the world will be a more chill place to, to live. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember that, uh, that um, I think it was a fucking Cadillac commercial like a few years ago, where it was like this, this like, I don't know, like middle-aged dipshit. He's like, you know, in France, they take the whole month of August off. Like, but here in America, we don't do that. Like, I worked hard, and so I take two weeks off in August. It's like, oh my God, just <laughs> shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> but that that guy from that fucking Cadillac commercial, that is, is Mr. Success Son to me, so. Oh yeah, yes. for sure. Bragging at a car dealership. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a certain. Uh, it's a certain male genre. It certainly is. Uh, so today we are talking about masculinism, masculinity, paternalism, and patriarchy, colonialism, and history, and missionaries, religion, and the last third of this book. Okay. So Tristan, will you give us the summary of this novel? Yeah, um, I, I would I would be happy to uh, for, pretend to be <laughs> the, the expert <laughs> for this episode. So yeah, so like right at at the macro level, and you know, I mean, if, if you haven't read this in a while or haven't read it, but just know about Echebe, this is probably what you're thinking. Um, like, yeah, this is a novel about the early years of colonization and its devastating effects on the lives and societies and belief systems of the colonized. Um, but like, it's not until like kind of the last third of the novel um, when we're introduced to like white characters for the first time, um, and we only ever see a couple. I mean, and that that you know kind of reflects realities of how. Uh, the, the empire was administered, um, but you know that, that we do see kind of colonization as a theme directly, um, and I think it's important and interesting that Achebe frames um, all of the historical strife around this story of um, of an Igbo man and his family, um, and, and really starts with a portrait of that kind of social space. So. 
Ajebi's protagonist is uh, a man named Akonkwo, um, who's this respected and, and feared leader of Umofia, um, which is the name of a local clan, um, but someone who is also seen by others as uh, kind of a hard-on. <laughs> like, um, I mean, I think, I think that's apparent. Um, we're, we're told on the very first page, um, this is quoting from the novel, Akonkwo was well-known throughout the nine villages and even beyond. His fame rested on solid personal achievements as a young man of 18, he had brought honor to his village by throwing Amalinze the cat. Amalinze was the great wrestler who for seven years was unbeaten from Uofia to Mbaino. He was called the cat because his back would never touch the earth. It was this man that Akonkwo threw in a fight, which the old men agreed was one of the fiercest since the founder of their town engaged a spirit of the wild for seven days and seven nights. Um, so yeah, and that's like, this is the first page in the novel, you know, we're told right off the bat, he's this impressive athlete, a formidable warrior. Um, he's also this really successful farmer, but as I said, he's also viewed as an asshole, uh, by a lot of people in, in, in the, you know, in the novel, um, you know, he's rigid, he's inflexible, he's hyper committed to this masculinist ethos that seems to sit at odds, even in a society that I think then a lot of people think the novel depicts, although we can talk about whether this is misreading or not as largely following a masculinist ethos itself, but like Aconquo is like extra, 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 <laughs> even in that context. And the novel knows that it's like uh, that this version of masculinism is like injuring, right? Like it's injuring to yeah. him, but also to like everybody else around him. So it's not exactly like, oh, this is really like doing a great job of, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, no. And that's, you know, as I was kind of, you know, plowing through criticism on this last night, uh, uh, just like this line that some people take that like, oh, like the book is like super like on its face, misogynistic. And it's just like, wait, are are you saying that it's endor- his endorsing like a Quaquo's worldview? I, I don't think that's, that's the case. Case, you know, um, so and and, and as Megan, as you say, it is like, yeah, it is the source of like injury for him too, as as we'll as we'll see. But yeah, and so kind of to that end, uh, so the novel traces this sort of commitment uh, to like kind of masculinism and obsession to Akonkwo's shame about his father, uh, his name uh, it was Anoka, whom we were told was kind of the polar opposite of Akonkwo, and this is again quoted from the novel. He, Anoka, uh, uh, was very good on his flute, and his happiness, happiest moments were the two or three moons after the harvest, when the village musicians brought down their instruments hung above the fireplace. Anoka would play with them, his face beaming with blessedness and peace. Anoka loved the good fare and the good fellowship. So he's kind of a laid back guy, you know, he's a musician, he doesn't like fighting with people. Um, he's heavily in debt, which he doesn't seem to really care about. Uh, like he has these kind of, you know, there's not a hell of a lot of comedy in this novel, but there is this moment when someone tries to get him to pay it back. And he's like, whoops, sorry, dude. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, like, because of all of this, like, uh, and, and, you know, particularly the fact that he's not like economically successful, Akonkwo has this sort of lifelong shame about Anoka. And, and as a result, uh, Akonkwo reads basically uh, everything about his father is unmanly or corrupted or, or dishonorable in some way. And I think very uh, early on, you know, the, in, in the first chapter, we're keyed to see this, um, as you guys have kind of alluded to, as, as a formative tension, but also one that leads to Akonkwo into, you know, a kind of shitty psychological trap. And this is, again, quoting from the novel, Akonkwo ruled his household with a heavy hand. His wives, especially the youngest, lived in perpetual fear of his fiery temper, and so did his little children. Perhaps down in his heart, Akonkwo was not a cruel man, but his whole life was dominated by fear, the fear of failure and of weakness. 
so yeah, I mean, I think like Megan, as you were saying, like, yeah, it is, it is, it is like his masculinism is injurious to him and those around him as well. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, the Sopranos principle. Yeah, very much so. Right. Like, (laughs) like masculinity is, is fucking killing you and it's killing everyone around you. Yeah, right, exactly. Which again, like I love that show. Uh I mean it's a great show. Um uh, I can sort of watched it again. Like you're like, hey, we, we should watch it should, at the should. same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago. But um but no, I mean it's like, yeah, it's like hypercritical of sort of masculinity and sort of masculinist uh, you know, bullshit. And yet like so many dipshits are like, I'm bottled my life on Tony Soprano. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like but. it's not like it's not killing you to butch it up like every single fucking character on that show i mean and i know it's yeah. a weird like weird to put this in that conversation but this is like injuring him and yeah. all the people around yeah. him yes no absolutely absolutely well and the way that it happens too is like worth worth saying which is he he trips over his own dick like a buffoon while doing while doing these like vo- acts of violence yes like he like he he's so obsessed with being being the coolest guy who has the biggest crop that he like plants his yams too early and then they all get wrecked and everybody who was yeah. napping was like sucks to be you dumbass yeah. <laughs> yeah no definitely but but yeah and and also so you know as I think we're sort of alluding to um, this kind of intensely masculinist or you know patriarchal um, and and frankly abusive posture to the world uh, uh, does put Akonkwo at odds, well certainly with us as readers, but also the rest of Umofia on several occasions. Um, so like in one of the most crucial, and you know, Katie, you, you mentioned this episode, um, and and brutal occurs when this boy from another clan whose name is Ikemafuna. Uh, who had been taken captive as part of this sort of recompense uh, being offered by Ikemafuna's clan um, for killing a girl from Awofia. Um, Ikemafuna gets killed as this kind of sacrifice. Um, but for a few years before this, like from the time he was taken captive, he had been put under Akonko's care, um, and they developed this pretty intense father-son bond. Um, but Akonkwo, and he has been like expressly excused by the other clan elders from participating in this killing. Um, but he can't like let that stand. And he, he himself is the one who hacks, uh, Ikemifuna down because basically he doesn't want to appear weak or unmanly. And Akonkwo's friend, um, another elder named Obierika tells him, you know, like emphatically what you have done will not please the earth. It is the kind of action for which the goddess wipes out whole families. Um, so even, you know, so like the, the killing itself is kind of like sanctioned by religious belief, but a like participation in it is, is viewed as, um, as, as troubling. Um, to, he's, to, the, to, to he's just Tony Sopranoing his way through this novel. Yeah. I mean, yes, basically <laughs> that's right. Yes. Just, just one. Sorry, one, one quick thing. Th- this recompense deal also involves a virgin from yeah. f- who is ne- who is never mentioned again. Nope. No, it's who- yeah, right. She's like become someone's wife, and that's the end of it, right? Yeah, Pres- presumably, right. Just that, like, she was offered to the the clan, and that's it. Yeah. It beyond, yeah, and so beyond, and that you know that 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 moment of game of is you know killing is is. Uh, it, I mean, it, yeah, it is, it is a central like problem in the novel. Um, but, but, you know, also at, at you know, uh, in this kind of order of violence, um, we're told that Akonkwo beats his wives. Um, and you know, he, there, at one moment he actually fires a gun at the second of his three wives, uh, Ekwefe, um, and although the bullet doesn't hit her 
and, and he's he's closest um actually seemingly of all of his children i think um aside from maybe Ekimafuna, who isn't actually his child to to Ekwefi's daughter uh as inma um and but like Akanku's constant refrain about Azinma is that he wishes that she had been a boy. And and so like all of which, you know, while as I said, it, it does take place under society that like at least through Akanku's eyes, uh, we get the sense is, you know, has the sort of kind of patriarchalist ethos. Um, it, it like all of that also puts him at some kind of odds with both his family and his society. And I would say even himself and like his his uh, like, like like one thing we're told is like the only emotion that he allows himself to express is anger. Um, although like we get indications that no, I mean, he does have this, you know, he has like, a, a, like the kind of fully developed psychological life, but like there's a barrier that like anger is his only expression in, into the world. Um, which again, like that's not, that's not like the ethos of this, of this clatter society. Right, it doesn't, the, the book doesn't validate it either. Again, it's like, it gets a bunch of people killed. Yes, absolutely. So, okay. So at, uh, at, at the end of part one, there are three parts. Um, there is a funeral for an elder named Ogwefi Azeudu. Ogwefi is a title. It's one of like four titles that uh, kind of uh, uh, male elders in, in the clan can receive. And so Akankwo uh, and, and, other, and other guys are, are firing their guns in like tribute to Azeudu. And Akankwo's gun uh, explodes um, accidentally, uh, but it ends up killing a boy. And even though uh, this is accidental, um, you know, and, and, you know, because it's accidental, it is described uh, as understood to be a female crime, which, is, again, like is to Akonkwo's, uh feelings of shame. But, you know, accident aside, it's still considered a crime against the Earth Goddess. Uh, so Akonkwo and his family are exiled for a period of seven years. Um, Dick so- Cheney ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The gardens went yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's why Dick Cheney wouldn't like this novel specifically. He's like, well, no, you shouldn't have to leave. Yeah, <laughs> not it's yeah, that'd be uh, the one reason. <laughs> yeah, not not it's not it's decidedly anti-imperialist. Uh, uh, you know, it's sense. cooler if it happens four separate times accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So after this happens, they flee to uh, Umbanta, uh, which is the name of Akankwo's mother's clan, and go to live with his uncle uh, Uchendu. And, and this is really when, as the title, of course, warns us, things start to fall apart. Akankwo, I, I, I while he's in exile, learns that white men uh, who are Christian missionaries have appeared in Umwofia, and uh, much to his horror and chagrin, seem to be kind of tolerated. Like the local people think they're these weirdos, and they're you know being blasphemous against the kind of indigenous gods. Um, but they reason that you know their gods are strong and can take care of themselves, so there's really no reason to you know fuck with the Christians other than to kind of laugh at them. Wait, can I ask a quick question? Because this is just like my showing my utter ignorance of 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 these groups. Are there Episcopalians? Because the guy says he's like, "Where does your God live?" And he's like, "England." But they're also taking yeah. the sacrament. Yeah, I mean, they're like the. Uh, that's a good question. And Katie, you might have a better sense of that. Like, I mean, there there are certain a lot of like Presbyterian missions like throughout the British Empire. But like, yeah, there's there's a huge kind of Anglican footprint in Africa and West Africa, um, which would have been. I mean, it, it, they, we're not told specifically that whether they're Anglican or kind of Presbyterian, they're definitely Protestant, um, and they're definitely there as part of the kind of vanguards of the of the British Empire. Right. It's and, just weird that they're I, taking the sacrament. To me, I was I got all. My well, that actually, might, that actually might indicate, I mean, that, that, that doesn't necessarily indicate they're not Presbyterians, but it might indicate more strongly that they were Anglicans. Um, Katie, yeah. Yeah, it says, 
it says something that that he does say the head of uh, the head of my I mean he first says the head of my church is God but then he's then he says the head of my church is in England and uh, and that's not an answer you could get from every from every like missionary you know what I'm saying like no, you that- could not you could not pull that answer out of every um like evangelical no and it's not an answer a presbyterian would give either it's uh it's a where you know there there isn't kind of that sort of episcopate uh, like hierarchy um what he means that he seems to mean either the archbishop of canterbury or like more specifically probably victoria um as being the head of the head of the church so um but then that's that's a really good question but and i think it also gets to like yes like these missionaries are like they're missionaries but they are also there as kind of the vanguard of the colonization effort by by the british empire well, and I think huh. I the reason I mean I think uh, Achebe certainly gives you enough information to figure out what it is, right? Like mm-hmm. what it is specifically, but it's also like supposed to be a little bit silly, right? Like where's your mm-hmm. god? Oh, he lives in England. Wait, what? Like why? Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah, that yeah. he's just sort of demonstrating that there is a certain degree of like uh, of like silliness is maybe too far, but like constructedness. He's not trying to take any sort of like, he's not taking this religion as naturalized or no. nor is he actually taking Igbo religion as naturalized either. No, no, he's not. Yeah, no. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, well, right. And also there is that moment too, where he's like, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the missionary and, uh, and one of the elders are having a conversation and the, 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 one of the elders refers to like their King and he's like, no, no, no queen, yeah. which like that also right. like that, you know, I, and, and again, I mean, not that like, Oh, like having a queen is like this death blow to patriarchy or any nonsense like that. But I mean, I think it is, it is definitely inserted as this additional moment of kind of tension between like, uh, you know, a and the, and the, 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 the British. Um, it's also worth noting that like the interpreter interrupts to say that. Like yes. that's not a thing that yeah. comes up in the conversation. That's the thing. Like the interpreter is like, they have a queen, actually. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yes, you're right. He, yeah, that that that's right. Um, <laughs> so. so modern and and edgy. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so also in addition, okay, so there are these weirdos. We start to get their reports of disturbing things like, you know, massacres by colonial troops or police or, you know, kind of henchmen that have happened in places that have resisted the missionaries uh, violently. And, and, and yeah, again, we're sort of, you know, even though we don't, we don't, you know, like British Empire's not mentioned yet, we're, we're, you know, we're keyed in to think like, yeah, these, these are the kind, these are like the, the sort of foot soldiers in some way of colonization. Um, and also, so we hear there in Mwofia, they then appear in Mabanta, where, where Akonkwo and his family's in exile, and his own son, uh, Nwoye, with whom he's had a pretty fraught relationship, converts, becomes Isaac, and Akonkwo, of course, disowns him. So now we're to the kind of tumultuous part three, which is the end, uh, and I'll, I'll be brief about this. So seven years pass, Akonkwo returns home to Mwofia uh, with his family, minus Nwoye. Um, and he finds, oh, now there's this colonial district commissioner, and he has all these khaki-clad native enforcers whom the locals call ashy buttocks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's also, is, is it one of the translators who who doesn't, there's some like tick with his language where when he refers to a person, he calls him my buttocks? Or his like he, he like yeah. there's some weird like he pronounces it just wrongly enough that you're like this guy yeah. ass and this guy yes. also ass yes yep. yeah you're right no it, it's calling so, yeah, everybody like, doo doo butt <laughs> like kind of great yeah it is great and you know it, it is a moment of kind of comedy like sort of a bit the very the, the sort of tragic um uh and, and also so there's this new missionary reverend james smith who's much more aggressive in his conversion efforts than his predecessor had been 
And we get to a crisis point when uh, an, an Amorphian man named Enoch uh, pulls a mask from a clan elder who is like basically doing this religious right where he's like kind of enacting a deity. Um, the non-Christians of Amorphia sort of collectively decide that they have to burn down the Christian church like this is an intolerable affront. Uh, Aconquo, along with several other local leaders, gets in prison for ransom after this. The clan's people pay, uh, but then Aconquo plots revenge and tries to get the clan to, you know, basically, you know, start a war against the, the British slash Christians. Uh, but no one really joins him. And so in the end, Aconquo kills one of the ashy buttocks. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but knowing it's kind of basically all over for him and likely his family, he hangs himself. And then Aconquo's friends ask the district commissioner, the British guy, for help removing the body because, quote, it is an offense against the earth and the man who commits it will not be buried by his clansmen. His body is evil and only strangers may touch it. And then we finish the novel in the mind of the district commissioner as he plans to write all of this down in very imperialist manner in a how-to colonize manual and the very last line of of the novel. He had already chosen the title of the book after much thought, The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of the Lower Niger. Can I just add one tiny thing to the end? And I mm-hmm. I may have to like quickly look at my book again. But mm-hmm. um, he actually says, and it's amazing, the story of this man who had killed a messenger and hanged himself would make interesting reading. One could almost write a whole chapter on him. Perhaps not a chapter, but a reasonable paragraph at any rate. <laughs> yes. A reasonable paragraph. Which is like this, again, it's like this book is actually like really – has these like tragic ironies sort of at every turn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It, it does. And, 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 but also like, it, like, yeah, I mean, it, that whole, the whole like last third of the novel is super tragic, but there is also just such a brilliant kind of pastiche of like colonialist discourse there. Right. Like, and, and even the like, oh, oh, you yeah. could write a whole book about this, eh, maybe just a paragraph, like, you know, this, 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 this like really shitty kind of like empiricist, like sort of racist anthropology, like drive there, you know? It's always what mm-hmm. makes me a little bit like, why did Achebe hate Joseph Conrad so much when this sort of like, I mean, I know why he did, because he thinks that book is hella racist, but that those ironic turns actually seem to be something they have in common. Yeah. Ironic mm-hmm. turns that present the colonizer as an absolute violent dipshit. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, totally. Totally. The- one that yeah, so the, the he gets this is like the dipshit of the last word, like the oh, the yeah. ultimate wet fart at the end, <laughs> like the, just like the oh that that that's like the <laughs> the awful turd that we finish on. Um, the other thing too though is like like Okonkwo also is like his thing is that he wants to go kick the asses of of like his next door neighbors, mm-hmm. not. Like he he's not like I want. He, that's what he's so despondent about. He's not like it, it's not like he, he just wants to launch a war against the British. He's like my like we're the only ones who aren't who who like aren't who are fucking being pussies like, about this. Yeah, pretty much. Like, and so he's like, well, whose ass can I kick? And that's like the other a tragic irony of the thing too is that like that's his that's his great idea mm-hmm. right that he is in no sense leveling something like a okay let's all band together and 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 engage some sort of like it's not a structuralist critique in his 
mind. But of course, in the books, it is. And this is why, Tristan, as you say, when people are like, this is a super sexist book, I'm just like, I mean, like, that's not... That's not a very generative reading of anything, but it's also like that really presumes that this book takes the point of view of its yeah. central character. And that is ridiculous. Absolutely. Um, and, and this actually gets to kind of the two of the big sort of like contextual things that I wanted uh, to kind of throw out there too. Yeah. So just give us a, a sense of like the criticism and what, what we need to know about Achebe. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, Achebe uh, was born during the colonial era in 1930, um, died only fairly recently in in, in 2013. Um, And as you guys know, a super important West African novelist. um, And and Things Fall Apart is among the most celebrated of African novels, uh, you know, the the whole continent, (laughs) picking up, uh, you know, as Megan said, even like frequently taught in in American high schools. it is the first of three books uh, that are known as the African Trilogy, which span the Nigerian colonial period and its aftermath. Um, so Things Fall Apart is the first, and it takes place in the early years of Nigeria's formal incorporation into the British Empire, which happens in the second half of the 19th century. Um, although, of course, you know European colonial violence in West Africa started centuries earlier with the beginnings of the, the Atlantic slave trade. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Like, that's a very sort of like weird and kind of fraught history there, of course. Um, so yeah, I'll just two kind of big things I was thinking about reading this again, I'm not an expert on Achebe. Um, but you know, it, wait, can I ask this a quick is, question? Cause I remember this vaguely from a million years ago. Is he an academic? Yes. Bard? No, he, he was. Bard is what I remember, but nobody yell at me if I'm wrong, but like, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yes. No, he, he was, he was an academic, um, you know, and, and, and yes, um, which, which is always kind of interesting that uh, people who bring both this sort of like, um, like you know fiction like you know really prominent in, in fiction writing and also kind of an analysis that's that they're they're always like really interesting kind of we should be suspect of academic slash novelists yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. i'm just okay like maybe people disagree but i think you should be suspect <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't support uh, that as a career choice oh man yeah oh man um, yeah well i don't support most career choices given that they're careers but um but yeah, so uh, like I, you know, I'm not uh, you know not, not not an expert on on Achebe or Nigerian literature. Um, but like, yeah, it, it, it's a really prominent novel for anyone who thinks about post-colonialism and the global Anglophone. And like, one thing that really stands out to me, and that, again, this gets to like something you were talking about, Katie, like his like a Conquo's like sort of like uh, you know his his primary antagonist, like like other people in the in the clan, rather than like this giant structure, right? Um, like, th- yeah, I mean, like that to me is kind of a Marxist sense of the historical novel. Like, you know, going back to we talked about Lukacs uh, in the Rob Roy episode, right? Like the historical novel as like staging the historical moment, not as like great man theory. And, you know, Akonko is very prominent in his local, in his local um, society, but he's not like driving like the engines of empire or something like that. Like he can't even see that, like nor can, you know, most people around him or even most of the people who are like going out to do empire. Right. But so, so we get like that. We like the individual is like sort of like shaped by the broad historical landscape. And yet like our access point to that is always like um, very, uh, I don't know, ambivalent or very hard to kind of pin down which which i think is like yeah i mean i just i i i'm always thinking about lucas so i thought that was really interesting um i'm not mad yeah yeah <laughs> um, 
And, and then just quickly, the, the second thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, the, the, the critical discourse on the novel's view of gender is itself kind of fraught um, or contentious. Uh, you know, some critics have seen this novel as endorsing a kind of patriarchalism, um, and, which seems really reductive to me as, as, you know, and I think, you know, we all sort of share that idea. Um, and yeah, one article I was reading by uh, Wando Achebe, who's a historian and, and Chinua Achebe's daughter, you know, like she really emphasizes that Aquando is not a clear standard for equal culture. Or, or even masculinity. Um, and she points out that, like, you know, the way he sort of thinks about those issues, like, always kind of already mark him as at odds with his own society. And I, th- I think we see that really prominently in the novel, you know, and we, we can debate like those Gordon nuances of that, but I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, that, that's, those are a couple of things I was thinking about as I, as I was reading this. Okay. So we were wondering about, like, when you read this book, for me, there's these entangled questions that are about one is it's kind of wrong to signpost this as being about gender, except that it's about gender slash masculinity slash masculinism, mm-hmm. patriarchy, but more like paternity. It does this thing with like what is actually a more accurate, like, I don't know, when people say traditional marriage and they think it's one man and one woman, I'm like, you actually don't know what traditional marriage is. Uh, (laughs) It's one man and as many women as he can afford. So, okay. So we know that, what's what's the story with its it's, uh, masculinist questions? Oh, there's there's so much. But but the one thing that you were bringing up that I definitely want to talk about is um is his relationship to his kids um mm-hmm. there so there are a bunch of things um but one of them is so we have like the sons and the daughters and the thing with this with the one son is basically that like the son that that leaves him basically and and becomes and like converts to Christianity it, it, it does it, it the novel suggests that he does it because his dad killed his friend mm-hmm. who you he know. thinks of as his brother right yes yes and like who essentially taught him everything that he knew about like he taught him songs about like he, he like there's a way in which like he's m- sort of like more than a brother to him mm-hmm. um well this novel because loves doubles it loves like it loves the son and not the son. It loves the son and the daughter who is a son. It loves Oquando mm-hmm. and uh, his best friend, right? So it's like it yep. keeps staging these pairs so you actually see where its tensions lie. Yes, absolutely. And and then you get like the two dads thing, like the oh, two yeah. sons who hate their dads in different ways. Mm-hmm. And both of them veer off into this like into this into this. I don't know. He's obsessed with he's obsessed with power it's like an acquisitive drive mm-hmm. but his son his his son does something else that he like that sets him up with with power that he i don't know if he intent that doesn't seem like he intended to have but that he gets sort of by accident so like what the so so like what the fuck like i i don't know well that, and that's yeah and the fact that both Aconquo and his son Woye both hate their dads who like whose whole like approach to the world is so wildly different and yeah you're right it is i mean it's like it's like polar obverses right like that would tend to like suggest that the problem (laughs) is rooted in like paternity and fatherhood itself or the father-son tie 
you know, even more than it is in any specific like version of what that looks like, right? That it's just like there's a there's a tragedy or like impossibility embedded in that that relationship, just as a structure of some kind. Well, it's also like uh, there's all these weird orders of inheritance that this novel is interested in, right? So it's like mm-hmm. he's not he does he's very interested in like what you inherit from your father which is like mm-hmm. some sort of degree of a like a position with a, with respect to the world right so it's like uh Okonkwo's father is you know he seems like a super fun guy ps like mm-hmm. uh just playing his flute and you know getting into way way into yeah. deep into debt Line and, you know, like, yeah, he sounds great. And Noye doesn't actually strike me as being like an awful person, meaning Noye, no. his son. No. But the notion of what you like take and reject from your father is super important to this. And it's like, again, for me, this novel is at least as much about paternity as it is about patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like about also it's like you can't predict what the legacy is going to be. You know, like you right. you really can't you can't pick and choose that shit. So like, so Okonkwo thinks he is going to be like a hustle and grind dude, and that that's going to like work <laughs> out for him, and that he's going to be like king shit of everything. Yeah. And even yeah. after he gets even after he gets banished, he for for accidentally shooting um the the son of the he's at a funeral and he shoots the guy's <laughs> fucking son by accident yeah, yeah it's it's, it's, like, it's it's yeah it's it's even it's even worse than my summary suggested yeah like it's just degrees of bullshit and and so like but he still has this delusion that he's gonna go back and be like my sons are bigger than yours uh-huh yeah. right and then he realizes that like oh i'm so he wants them to participate in this this ceremony for for them to like um be recognized by the clan and all this shit and he's like oh oopsie doopsie i didn't realize that i'm actually two years off of that so, oh like, right it's yeah. All, yeah so so like it's all of this like tragic uh, like manly fantasy shit, but mm-hmm. that's that's only a conquo. Like that, that's yeah. not the son's deal, really. The son has a more pure, like I, I hate my dad energy, but <laughs> it, but like it goes, it goes somehow in a like in a in a also awful direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like two versions. There's two moments that I point I would think about, and one is like. When he come when he's trying to come back from exile, which is like completely this kooky moment in the novel where it's like he fucks a lot of stuff up there. And one yeah. is that he's initially like, Oh, I'll send Opierica to start building shit for me. And then he's like, He can't build shit for me. I build it myself or I get it from my dad. Yeah. Those are the Yeah, other- like he'll yeah, he'll he'll let he'll let Obierka uh, build his wives' huts, but not his, because like that would be that would be unmanly in some way. Yeah. Ridiculous. And then the other one that I was thinking about is like the 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 sort of like interesting alternative that you get is like when they're in exile and his uncle he's he's in this sort of like I don't meeting with his uncle and other guys and the uncle basically is like yeah but you everybody loves their mom more than their dad yeah <laughs> yeah well, it's, yes. uh, it's like well but it's like it's it's like yeah because um because life sucks shit and like your mom knows it more. Right. So yeah. like you go when your dad beats your ass, you go cry to your mom. Like that's not like a like a everybody loves their mom more because their dad sucks shit. 
Yeah. And and, and, and life and, also sucks. Yeah. It's not validating. Like, you should really, you know, Noye, what you should do is love your dad more. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, but it's also like not like your mom's cool. Your mom's great. Your like your motherland is awesome. It's like, well, that's the place you go to know how much things sucks and feel a little better. Right. Yeah. But to know what the world is actually fucking like, because you can't swing your dick around constantly and be like, I build my own shit, guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, right, and the and the, the the focus again because like it is it is sort of like you know it's staying with the conquo and and really I think Billy a fairly devastating critique of his kind of psychological posture towards the world like but that it, it is like it like paternity and kind of masculinity are such the focus but like I mean I think we do get pretty clear indications throughout of, of like of 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 like kind of like yeah just socially like the presence of femininity and and like the importance of this other kind of like conceived sort of sphere of, of kind of like you know gendered being. Um, and, and like one is that like, uh, you know, I, I think like, so, okay. So like there's, a, so, uh, is in my, the, the, the daughter, um, Eklefi's daughter, uh, she's very sickly, which is this whole other thing that we, we could get into, uh, or just the kind of, kind of elaborate belief structure around that, but she's very sickly. And, um, and there's this moment where, uh, a woman named Cielo, who is a, a priestess and, and also kind of a friend of the family comes like in the middle of the night to like take her on this, like heroic sort of like journey around all it's like a healing ritual right like i mean she like carries her on her back all around the villages of the clan and uh who is like you know she's kind of forbidden by chelo to follow them she also like follows them everywhere like in the darkness and it's, it's like it's one i mean it's one of the most like kind of like i you know I, well not i mean it's not heartbreaking because actually everything ends up being fine with this child but just like i think moving moments and really heroic moments of also the entire book as hell spooky yeah. as hell and everything else but like so much more effectual than any of the yeah. quote shit you know what i mean like um but he's there too he also follows yeah. them yes right and yeah but but it's like he, the fact that he does is like it it's it's tight is in one of the fleeting moments where he's actually able to step himself out of his masculineness bullshit and be like hey i actually really care about this kid and i'm like worried and like i can express that that's not just like rage at the father or whatever but i still wish you were a boy as he tells us every fucking page of this fucking novel that like she should have been a boy but it's crazy because she should have been a boy because she gets me meaning she does the thing (laughs) that this novel poses is like more feminized meaning like she she's like smart and doesn't ever meaning like she has she's has a has this practice of being like well here's what the thing is really like you know she's not it's not feminized in the sense of like uh she's uh, secondary it's just that like you can't wish she's a boy she's doing all the things that the novel tells us are like the when i say woman's role i don't mean that in a strictly negative way yeah yeah well she like the other thing too about her and i don't know i don't know how like i don't know that this is gendered in the novel but one of the things that they say that that is their bond is it like she's also a grumpy little shithead oh yeah and like that <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and she's like i only want my dad when i'm being a fucking like just groucho yeah so i, I don't know what to I, I i don't really know what to what to do with her either because it's also like she, she, her mom is like i'm a cool mom not a regular mom we're more like mm-hmm. friends than oh yeah it super directly than, says like we're more like 
they're not they're BFFs and not it's not really and, like a mom thing. And she doesn't call her she mom her by she calls her first her, name. Her, yeah. 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 Which yeah, is like yeah, another yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like that that was very recognizable to me. Like, oh, you it's a different relationship. You can call your mom by your first name. <laughs> and they like <laughs> she is hippie parents. Um but but it's also like but it's like they they her and the mom are friends because they sneak eggs away from the dad. Like they right. go and like mm-hmm. privately eat eggs together. Or no, the the only the daughter gets to eat the egg. Or I don't. I can't remember yeah, the, the, the the division the, of eggs. The daughter's not supposed to eat the egg because if you if you um, yeah, like the, the the belief is that like if you let children eat this like rich food, then they're gonna like greedy. always. Yeah, it makes them greedy, and so like a conquo like freaks out when she see when he sees uh as in uh, eating the egg, and he's like, "You'll never do this again." But then they so then it but they keep doing it, but like Equifi like makes it you know sort of <laughs> on on the DL, um, which is like it's the only successful conspiracy in the entire novel is is the egg eating, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which yeah. is like yeah, yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. Which is like I mean I don't know Zizek was maybe onto something with the whole tragedy farce bit. <laughs> oh, in in this for sure, I think that it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, that there is a farcical, maybe not farce, Mister Zizek, but like irony. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first is tragedy, then is farts, as the mature <laughs> among us say. Uh, no, I like that a lot better. <laughs> yeah, that maybe maybe where we're headed. Yeah, um, and you know. Speak, speaking of history, right? Like, <laughs> speaking of Zizek. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Zizek. Uh, Against yes. event. Yes. <laughs> let's not. Um, let's, let's never do this again. But was your question, Tristan, about like speaking of history is our, is like our ongoing concern with this novel and like where it positions us and what it's. Yes. I don't mean what well, politics are, but like the goofy ass missionaries. Yeah, and, and well, and just yes, like, but so okay, right? So like, and we, you know, we, th- this is really important to post-colonial literature. It is definitely an anti-colonial novel, but like, you know, and and well, not but like, I mean, I think that those are just true points. We've been talking a lot about this really kind of, you know, like intensely wrought psychological drama, which, which doesn't even get to like a, really a claim necessarily about the clan uh, system, like or, or anything like that. It's, it's, you know, in many ways, it's, it's about a, this guy named Conquo, mm-hmm. right? But yet, there's this other huge fucking penumbra leaning over this, right? Which is the fucking British Empire arriving, yeah, and and like and and, and you know and and like. As I said, we, it, it's not until the last third of the book that we even see really any indications of that other than in this very famous title. And like, as, as you guys know, like, um, it, it, and I think, you know, most most of our listeners will know um, that title comes from uh, from uh, William Butler Yeats's 1919 poem, The Second Coming. Um, and and, and uh, Achebe actually uses, uh, the, you know, a, 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 um, a quote from the first stanza of The Second Coming as his epigraph. Um, and I'll, I'll just read the, the first stanza of, of The Second Coming. Um, turning and turning the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, um, which is the end of Achebe's uh, epigraph, but it continues another four lines. The blood dim tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. So, I mean, and we can think about like why he chooses that title and that 
you know, that specific kind of epigraph. But like, I think one thing that that sort of choice is doing is situating this sort of drama and narrative within like a kind of world historical and anti-colonial moment, right? And like alluding to Yates, who again, he's writing in 1919, he's writing about World War One, but he's also writing about the Irish Revolution and Irish kind of anti-colonial struggles against the British. So there's this very kind of like trans-historical and global, uh, almost, I think, maybe even like solidarity gesture there, mm-hmm. um, but which feels so fucking distant from so much of what's happening in the first two thirds of the novel. In, in ways I think that are really interesting and important, but I think are also quite complex in how we want to think about why Achebe frames the story in the way he does. I mean, I had never thought about it, but I think that 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 there are the the lines for me. It's actually like um, maybe not the things fall apart line, but others are tensions or paradoxes or however you want to think about that. Mm-hmm. Because like what Achebe is not talking about is a loss of innocence. No. Because this is not intended to be like an innocent society because like children are killed. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like this is not – and he's exiled. It's not like uh, – it, it just doesn't function that way. And so it's invaded, right, like by I- – sorry, go ahead. No, I no, I I, def, I understand what you're saying, and I and I agree with it. Although the one thing that I'm I maybe pausing over, like yes, you're right. It's not it's not typed as an innocent society, and I, that is like super reductive and colonialist itself. Like other than the fact that it does seem like the British Empire hits this space like a fucking blindside, right? It's like, holy shit, yeah. there's this giant fucking structure that is going to supplant everything. And, and in ways that like no one and the local landscape, and I mean, you know, this isn't like a feature of the society. I think this is just, this is the experience of colonization. Like it, 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 it's like so fucking big and that like you can't get your mind. It, it's like, it, it's unclear even mm-hmm. what's happening as it is happening. You know what I mean? So like, and th- like that's different from innocence, but like, I do think like there's some proximity there of like, like the, like the, like the unknown suddenly you know hitting you in the face in a way that like yeah is is devastating really you know well it's also like so it's the un well it's this it doesn't seem like it just seems like a bunch of ding-dongs with their khaki dumpers like (laughs) that's that's the fucking the true one of the many tragedies of empires is the fucking doofuses that pull this off you know right yeah (laughs) Uh, so so like so to go back to the to the poem, right? Like it, the I think so Tristan, one of the points you raised about it was that that why doesn't he go like why doesn't he go on uh to the second stanza or to the next stanza, right? Like in mm-hmm. that in the and, and it's like, well, I guess because it's like it doesn't it's irrelevant what the best or the worst do. It's, mm-hmm. it has not, it's just like shit fucking kicks your dick in. Like, yeah. that could, that he could have called it that. Yeah. Uh, it's important that the guys who show up are like accompanied by like yakety sex. You know, like the guys who show yes. up are not <laughs> like, well, there's two, right? Sun and the clown. There are Sun and the clown. Like, the first one is completely like a dipshit. And then the second one is like just needlessly cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Those are not like, that's not representative of the structure, except it is, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, yeah, that's the thing. Is it like what gets front loaded is the, is the 
church stuff, but mm-hmm. actually like what's what we find out is really going on is that in fact um that we're just pulling in like it's a I think we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but like it's not about that. It's actually about like what kind of power people can get in the in the bureaucracy. Right. It's that the they law. bring along with them. It's yeah. the imposition of the law that turns out to be much more important than the imposition of of religious doctrine, I think. Because like mm-hmm. it's not I mean, because there are religious systems holding up the Igbo society that we see but the legal traditions are super, super important too, or else he wouldn't be exiled, right? Like we wouldn't actually yeah. see sort of these like particularized, important and interesting um, legal structures unless yeah. we were later going to pose oppositional bureaucratic and legal structures. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. and, and whatever you, you may think of sort of like local sort of legal practices, and, and I do think it's it's true that I mean, the not like, it's not like the novels like, oh, like child sacrifice is fine, or because it was like, tr- quote, traditional or anything like that. But like, it, you know, that is a very different sort of like set of questions than the sort of like imperialist conceit of like the primitive, like lacking right. any structure, right? That like these people didn't have laws before we were like, no, they had a very complex and like, long standing legal system and religion system you know but that and the, yeah and the, but that but that is at odds with the kind of like progressive sort of like liberal imperialist ethos of like you know we we bring order to the world it's like well, there right. already was an order you just didn't like it and you supplanted it with this other thing that you think is better because you're you know fucking dipshits but, and it involves throwing people in jail for like no reason yeah and starving them and right. yeah and and i mean yeah it's like the 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 um, <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. Also, also, like it's like the I mean the 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 British Empire would uh, have a hard time, um, you know, ca- looking askance at any sort of indigenous practice, given that transatlantic slavery is directly its fucking fault, you know. But well, the thing this is the thing that's interesting, right? Is that like you can't get that from the book. Like you cannot get this from the book. You cannot yeah. read the novel and get that about the about about the British empire and the brutality of colonialism. You don't, that's not, it's not there. Like in that fact, awesome the, the even colony? The mission- <laughs> yeah, that they're j- just dandy. Like you don't even get there. Like you only, uh, you don't even, you don't even get the banality of evil. Like you don't, you don't get no. anything because in fact, like, it, like nobody, no character does anything like the the two the two church guys like the one guy is significantly more brutal than the first guy mr their names are so fucking boring it's like mr uh, brown, brown mr. mr brown and mr yes yeah yeah and, and like but the the thing that they do so, so he the second worst guy um uh, mr fucking Smith. Brown. Mr. Yeah, J- Reverend Brown. James Smith. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I'm mixing him up too. You're Pardon me for not being P.S. Those are like yeah. white. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. are like interchangeable white guy names. <laughs> They're the most generic white yep. names ever. Yeah. But it's like okay, so he he throw he he throws them in jail, and um, because they burn the church down, and there's this like weird negotiation that goes on where the interpreter like doesn't quite say everything that they have they say basically like fuck you too you piece of fucking shit and the interpreter (laughs) like won't say that um right so so then they like all go in to to, for like a meeting 
where they yeah. get thrown into jail and and beaten by like a a guy who overhears them talking shit in part. A- mm. And so it's like this just but it's it's like eight steps removed from anything. And then, in fact, what also happens is, like, the real, or not the real dickhead, there's dickheads abound, but it's like, oh, we also find out, like, the the messenger jacks up the price to get them released, and so that guy's a shithead, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, right, and I mean, like, Fanon, among other people, has, like, that devastating chapter in The Wretched of the Earth on just the kind of exacted, exacted and then willing complicity of, like, a certain class of the kind of colonized is sort of, like, a key strategy of of empire and also kind of a key, like, sort of resistance point for anti-colonial struggles. Um, No, I mean, Katie, I think think you're right. we, We do get a few, I think indications that are almost subtextual right like there, there's that allusion to like a massacre that happened when like another clan resisted um you know there is there is that they the, the, like the, we the, should the, be like them because they're not girls yeah right yeah. And, right but that which that of course begs the question it's like right but they all got right. killed too you know it's not like which is not like an anti like violent resistance claim at all but it's just a like well you got but right it, but it's like this also isn't like an immediately clear solution right. to the problem either you know so um but well and, and then, but i do think like so like i guess the the that last paragraph, which I, again, you know, we talked about, I love because it is just such like a devastating pastiche of the fucking like arrogance mm-hmm. and just bullshit of like the imperialist. Cause I, cause I do think like that, like, I think that like maybe we could think of that as a moment where we shift modes and we are mm-hmm. like at the very end of the novel directly focused on this big structure and like what, like who its representatives are. Yeah. And Megan, this is the part you, you referenced earlier. One could also almost write a whole chapter on him. Perhaps not a whole chapter, but a reasonable paragraph at any rate. There was so much else to include, and one must be firm in cutting out details. And then, yeah, that he'd already come up with this title, The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of the, the Lower Niger. So, like, if you know the history of, like, imperialism and imperialist discourse, it's like, you know exactly where you are, but you are right. Like, that, that, that I think, marks a real shift in the narrative when we're suddenly from that vantage point. And it's, and it's not a vantage point that we really have access to from much of the novel up to because that, that is and the distillation of the structure right like that's mm-hmm. that's like and it's so well written in the sense that it's both and it's it's all these different like orders of indictment right it's an indictment of the law it's an yeah. indictment of like getting involved in sort of like local legal procedure it's it's an indictment of narrative the the narrativization of the mm-hmm. colony on its behalf right so it's like this would make a great book Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is yeah. So like, and I think the it's like, who the fuck is this guy? And then you right. find out mm-hmm. who the fuck this guy is is like society bullshit. You know, like that's yep. that's his that's what he is. He's not involved in anything. He shows up and he's like, I'm gonna write my dumbass book about all the bullshit I did. <laughs> and it reflects yeah. on the rest like, of the no. book, like because when we get this ending traditionally, that's like, I'll write this book. It's the fucking you're reading right yeah and and yes, like exactly yeah and the 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 awful part is like yeah it it is right. too mm-hmm. you know like yeah. that's what you're left with mm-hmm. how can you read this book in high schools and not say <laughs> like i'm sorry that this is like a this is like a doom doomsday ending does anybody say yeah. it's not I don't remember because this is at least 
this is 20 years ago for me having read it at that time but uh it was i don't remember anything about that i just remember it again like this is an imposition on my part but i think the way it's it's like assigned in secondary schools there's a couple of reasons but one of them is that like this gives us a portrait of a culture which is like super reductive It is. And, and it also, right, like, so it, the, the, like, oh, well, like, you know, I think we can have a tendency to sometimes over uh, emphasize like the need for context when we're dealing with sort of things that aren't from the like kind of like the, the, the white Western canon. But I mean, also, though, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like he like Achebe is like very much writing about this kind of specific uh like encounter and aspect and, and experience of sort of imperialism and that sort of contact that if you don't and, and like so much of that is subtextual through the novel right like that and and like yeah i mean katie as you were saying you, you don't like it, it like you don't get it directly from the novel but then like you if you know that in at least in some way you're always seeing it as you're reading mm-hmm. it's like well then you have to talk about the history around it. And, but I would say that's true of any literature, right? I mean, it's just like, like, you know, I mean, even so like we quote the canon, right? It's like, you don't know shit about what like Eddie novels do it. If you're not thinking in some way about it's kind of contextual uh, sort of surroundings. I think that's true. I, I also think like you get two books, you actually, you get, you get two books cause they're two, cause they're, I think it's sort of, I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't disagree I don't disagree but I also think like it's imp- it's important that that shit is left out when there is so much like in the beginning there's so much heavy-handed character stuff yeah and and that mm-hmm. this isn't there mm-hmm. like he he goes yeah. out of his way to say stuff like this guy smiled in a way that that was actually uh more sinister than his frown you know like all of mm-hmm. this like mm-hmm. like character stuff that's so um that's so detailed the fact that like and there's other but like so the fact that it's missing is important because it it situates you in the things fall apart thing not in the like Mm -hmm. it situates you in the center that's like not holding you're not outside of it looking at like the the structure really until you get to that last uh that last part about this book that like this turd does not follow through and write anything i promise you you know like <laughs> no 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah or if he does i mean it's obviously the most abysmal fucking when it it, 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 it it exists as a fucking like you know internal like memo of the like you know the the, the africa office or something like that it's you know? the version but, of like but, oh no i now i'm gonna like completely do a fail here but like what's the book that uh, Fanon is really critical of in like in black skin white masks. Prospero and Caliban, um, uh, Menoni's sort of like extremely racist, uh, but like liberal anthropological sort of study of uh, Malagasy culture right around the time of the um, the independence struggle in Madagascar. But that's sort of what he's doing here. Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but but and, and also like it's, uh, Fanon specifically. Um, I mean, this goes back to something you said at the at the beginning, Megan, and just you know that we were talking about like psych like psychoanalytic thinking as sort of part of a lot of uh, of of kind of post colonial sort of critique. Um, and, and I think like one way you can see that right is that like yeah okay so I mean empire is this this big structure. It's often often like you know it's a it's a it's a foreign structure. To, I mean because mm-hmm. it's being imposed from without. 
like you don't like the the effect of it and where you can see that in sort of concrete and clear ways i think does get to like a sort of individual level and like okay so what are the what you know how do how does the psyche process this kind of like sort of trauma and violence um and and, and i mean i you know probably you could say similar things about any sort of like relationship between the individual and the structure but i do think there's something about empire and like colonization that really fronts that and makes that kind of analysis um illuminating Mm -hmm. you know i like i want to i i just want to have a question corner because like so the psychoanalytic stuff i want to think about it and i also don't know how to square it with the with the the fact that like we get or I like want to situate it with the with the colonialism, but I don't know how to because um this because the the colonizer is like it does not is most front loaded trait is not knowing or doing anything like yeah. this guy who mm-hmm. who delivers like the you know like the sh- the shittiest you know ending he hasn't done anything like he he's not he's not like the executioner he won't even get Mm. involved in like pulling his body down you know Mm -hmm. so like he doesn't do he's he's not doing shit like but he's doing but but he's he is right right what he's doing is all all concentrated in that last paragraph no yeah but like Mm -hmm. it's it's Mm -hmm. concentrated in the last sentence yeah, that's true. It, it, yeah. It's like yeah. he, he's just like du- like dumb guy having thoughts. Oh. Um, <laughs> and no. and yeah. like, what do we what do you do? What do you do with it? With the dumbest dumb guy thoughts. Because <laughs> it's like if the machine is the problem, then what do you do with the dumb guy who is executing the like like who's who's enacting? the thing yeah well but i mean that's a, i mean that is like <laughs> always the question I mean, em- empire is both a story of shitty structures <laughs> and shitty individuals filling those structures right. Right? Like, but that's also the like uh you know when i there's another way to talk about structure which is just like sorry Cr- tristan but like formalist right which is like that the novel poses uh-huh. its own tragic structure as soon as we see mm-hmm. it right so it's like part of that tragedy is like a hyper masculine presentation, right? So, like structurally, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. novel has to end here to a certain degree, which is on things fall apart because mm-hmm. it has to like it has to do its own tragic wrap up. Like we know he's not going to mm-hmm. survive this novel, but it's right. a, no, okay. You know what? I'm going to redact what I said. It has to end on his hanging, but it's the postscript to a certain degree that turns it into a different kind of tragedy, maybe. Mm-hmm. yes and yes and also right that like yeah and that's another really sort of insidious thing about that ending right it's that like it's like what a conquo's death you know and suicide would mean to him or kind of in the local context it's like here comes the imperialist to be like yes but i don't care about that what this actually means right, right is, is like how we can use this uh, as, as as a way of like pacifying these because you know we're the benevolent british empire of course and we have to you know so it's like this it's this it's this like epistemic violence yeah. in addition to everything else that's happening there right yeah yeah because because that's, that's the thing is that i i expected him to to be hanged not not to hang himself like that's mm-hmm. the oh. yeah like that's where 
one I don't know that's where I thought it would go um but it's but the actual ending is just like it's even worse than that because it's like you miserate people so much that they hang themselves you just do mm. nothing but write your shitty book like mm. and and I mean in this particular like in this particular case right like we're not talking about the 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 massacre that gets mentioned but in this in this mm. in the case of this person that we've been following the whole for the whole book like that's the that's the wrap up on that because he, it couldn't mm-hmm. be dying in a massacre because otherwise it's not like emphasizing his like the notion of his individualism which he is really committed to and i'm not positive that the book is like it has a psychological depth but i'm not convinced that he could die in a sort of mass event because it would like make his character more committed to a common structure than him himself like the loss of his own masculine position which is not actually what it's what it's about like it's not he doesn't lose the capacity to be as butch as possible it would also it, like that would also potentially like take us into like the territory of the world historical event which i don't think is the way a chip a want and, and i think that this is you know that this also is a kind of a very sort of like um you know a, a student reflective uh idea of like how empire is sort of like experienced right it's like yeah i mean like the, obviously the world historical event happens but it is not like the the sort of quotidian experience of right. empire right so like if if, if, if if a conquo like died in some massive uprising that he had he had he had uh you know he had led okay well then that gets him into even some sort of an imperialist history book but that's not that's not the arc of this story, you know? Right. And that's like a different kind of, tra- that's a different kind of tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And not, and not one that like, uh, it, it's like, it's important. This sounds, this sounds like goofball shit, but like, it's important that like, we talk about these guys, butts all the yeah, time. Totally. Like, that, <laughs> yeah, that like yeah. they're just ding- that they're ding dongs. It's not and, my like, favorite, this- but it's not like love butts. Like it does. No, this bad, does not count in my butt, <laughs> my pro no. butt category. Like I'm not, I'm no. not like you know what things fall apart is full of is like butts. No, these mm. are these are the anti anti butt. Yeah, this is um, this is butt phobic. Ka- Khaki shorts with the safari helmet bullshit. The Stanley helmet uh, doesn't doesn't. No, this is not, not Billy Button in his tight pants. <laughs> no, with, with white knee socks, of course, too. Right? Gross. Like, like, like. How did these people like? How did these people <laughs> develop global? Anyway, oh, money! But, how, did, how did they fuck even once? No, I know. I mean, no, we we know the answer to that, but it's just like Jesus Christ, you know? Idiots. No, yeah, but it's 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 yeah. So it's just like it's somehow fucking worse. Oh, for sure. Okay, Katie, do you have a game for us for this tragic ass novel? I do, and put put on your different hat now. I know that this is like uh, just just a weird. It's not facts, but it's like a note of the tradition. Maybe we should all just read like Bushia Meshida or Flora and Wapa. You know what I'm saying? They're like African women's <laughs> novels from the early '60s that are just like. I love that you don't read those in high school, just to like remind right. us that there's like yeah. important women's voices in Africa at the same time. Anyway, it's part of my, uh, instead of reading infinite Jess, let me give you 50 novels by black women writers instead. <laughs> I'll give you that 1600 yeah, pages. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll make yeah, up the pages. Yeah, yeah. Well, well again, um, 
we're we're not we're not talking about we're not talking about broads here. We're talking about not. dads, folks. As well yeah. we should. Um success yeah, sons so- are much worse than fail sons, it turns out, as you say. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's it it fucking turns out. Um so so there are different ways of being of reading depressing things. And so this is a this is a good depressing novel. And I and I read something else this week that was also depressing for totally different reasons. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh um, God. I've never read it, but I know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's that's right. I'll give you the I'll give you the the real short lowdown. Um it's about a dude who has a quote rich dad who is a possibly fictional actually convenience store and real estate mogul. Of course. And he also okay, okay, yeah. and he, he also has a poor dad. Um, you know, who raised and and cared for him, um, uh-huh. and his and his somehow equal to his imaginary, uh, possibly imaginary neighbor, due to the fact that that guy was rich. So it just got me thinking, you know, because I was thinking about dads, right? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about dads. Um, so I read a lot about it. Like I read psychology blogs about, um, you know, a guy who who described the uh his relationship with his son that he, that he says, um, you know, it started off really well, but then. When he got to be about five or six, things started to go south between us. But um, he remembers everything before that. Oh uh, well, that things were going along swimmingly when when the child was younger than that. But then you know, uh, once once he became five or six, the the conflict arose. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so this Good is luck, a different Tristan. guy. <laughs> yeah right no the god it's only five or six that the conflicts arise not you know waking up uh every day at 4 30 a.m because hey i'm awake yeah okay um, <laughs> i gotta wait to five or six uh i also did uh check out that check out that i was in the in the uh in the dad conflict mode so i checked out that uh kafka's letter to his dad where he's like fuck you dad fuck you dad fuck you fuck you fuck you dad like he said um uh, it was incomprehensible to him. Um, uh, what was it incomprehensible to Kafka was your total lack of feeling for the suffering and shame you could inflict on me with your words and judgments. But anyway, enough about those dads. <laughs> Let's talk about rich dad, poor dad. Because um, the, cause the beginning of the novel, oh, really, th- that's like that's where your mind goes. But the problem is that that he that, um, you know, we, we have a, a guy with a with a poor dad who wants to be a rich dad. Um, Mm -hmm. so anyway, here comes a quiz for you about rich dad, poor dad, and we'll see whether you two are rich dads or poor dads. Uh Okay. Okay. We are in fact dads. IRL. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. We're all spiritually dads. Um, and I got a quiz about rich dad, poor dad, uh, from, from, from quiz.com, uh, which is spelled with two Z's in case you're wondering. (laughs) Yeah, well, cool. I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, very. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I wouldn't respect it if it just well, had yeah, because that know. was already taken. One assumes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's being a success sign. It's like, oh, yeah. The most onesie. people say, like, oh, well, this is a dumb, <laughs> this is a dumb name that I shouldn't use because it's it's so obvious. But it's like, nah, I'm just going to add another Z, and then it's creative and bank. That's right. <laughs> then I'm a cool dad. Um. So anyway, we're just going to kind of we're just switching gears here to answer some questions about uh, Robert Kiyosaki's classic rich dad, poor dad. Um, 
and we'll find out. You know, and and you don't really ha- have to have read it to get the answers right. I think you'll. I think you know. We'll see. If you're a rich dad, you'll get it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, are you two prepared to play? Um. Rich dad, poor dad. Absolutely. If one okay. can ever be prepared to be a dad. <laughs> Megan, you're taking fatherhood very seriously. <laughs> I, you know, every I, I have some anxiety about my dad life, but that's fine. Well, <laughs> I have no doubt that you will be a, a rich dad. Um, okay, so here's here's question one. And you're just going to answer some questions about the book that you haven't read, but I think you'll be fine. Okay, question number one. Mm-hmm. Robert Kiyosaki followed the lessons of his A, rich dad, or B, poor dad. Rich dad. Um, yeah, well, I mean, he did write a book that I think sold very well, right? That's a that is poor dad <laughs> behavior, though. Yeah, it is, but uh, people know what the book is. Like, it's not like self published, right? Okay. So, All right, that's true. Yeah, I, he's got a rich dad vibe to me. I, I agree. Okay, so we're, we're we're on rich dad. Okay, uh, so what is the first lesson that? Kiyosaki's rich dad taught him a work hard b go to the best college c the rich do not work for money uh or d read as many books as you can well d is the kind of asshole advice that some fucking bougie dipshits like you yeah, that's i uh, that, this is how i I'm, I'm a fucking intellectual or whatever um i mean honestly like the the real answer which i'm just going to go with is c the rich don't work <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, totally. uh, yeah, so see, I don't know what if that was the advice, but that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's the right answer. That's yes. the right yeah. answer, though. Megan, do you want to do you, do you think that is the answer in rich dad, poor dad mindset? Or you know, it is the it is the correct answer? Um, no, a, a is the is the book's answer, which is yeah. work really hard. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we have a difference of opinion here, and we'll see how that plays out at the end. (laughs) Oh, I see. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Here's the next question. Uh, Doesn't really matter, but what is the fourth lesson of Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Okay. A, don't work for other people. B, understand taxation. (laughs) C, corporations pay more taxes than individuals. (laughs) <laughs> or D, if your money works for you, you lose power to your employer. B. Understand yeah. taxation. Yeah. Okay. Everyone understand taxation. It's a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um when should a person buy luxuries? <laughs> a when they get a bonus at work. B never. C, when you have extra cash flow to pay for it. Or D, when you have more liabilities than assets. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, I like, again, I, I think my practice here, right, is to not answer what I think the book answers, but what I think is the right one. Mm-hmm. And in that last case, I'm mean, it's like, I mean, I be a good Marxist in how you deploy bankruptcy laws and try to fuck as many capitalists as you can. So, yes, <laughs> I'm going to be when I am super yeah. over leveraged, as they would say, that's when I am going to get mm-hmm. some fucking luxuries and see what I can keep in the uh, <laughs> without paying any 
Because cool. <laughs> I think he actually says when you get a bonus. Yeah. Because like one if it's never, then how will you show the other rich dads that you are rich? This is right. Although there is also that kind of like faux, like Calvinist asshole rich person, which they always they buy the shit they want, but their whole like presentation is like I do not, I do not indulge in things like uh, Starbucks coffee. That's why you're poor, you know. So like so I could there's there's there there's a performative version of it which which, which could go with that, but I mean it's of course bullshit on its face. But like nobody's buying the Honda Civic that I've had for 15 years. No. You know, like you have to do a little bit of dick swinging with your like whatever kind of vehicle dads buy now Tesla. I, I'm sorry. Warren Buffett has a hamburger and Coca-Cola every single day for lunch. And he lives in the same ranch house that he bought in 1950. And that's why he has $150 trillion. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that Rich Dad is a because a Tesla is both morally responsible and demonstrates your wealth. Oh, yeah. I don't actually mean morally responsible. I just, yeah. And, and I'm going to say D because it's like, fuck it. You know, <laughs> like, just take as many capitalists down with you as you can. All right. Tristan is playing this against the grain of the book. Uh, yes, you know, I, I like it. And also, I, I think we I should have added an extra option, which is Tesla dad, which is dad stranded on the side <laughs> of the highway because he couldn't find a place to plug in his fucking car. Yes, yeah. and, and and also the asshole that thinks that Elon Musk is the greatest visionary uh, of the, you know, yeah. the last hundred years. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Capital fucking, drives innovation. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Um. Okay, here we go. Uh, we're just, we can put ourselves out of our misery after this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. We'll put ourselves out of our misery after two more. Um, it, let me let me ask you something. And, and this is a real, this is a real question. How do, r- how do rich people become rich? A, getting a good job working for somebody. B, being gifted and getting straight A's at school. C, Winning the lottery, or D, acquiring assets that produce money. D, acquiring assets. E, exploiting the proletariat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I gotta say C, and okay. here's why: because, like, yeah, you did fucking win the lottery, right? It's like what yeah, what exactly. is the, what I is agree. the single greatest predictor as to whether or not you yourself are rich? It's if your fucking parents were rich. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's same. a lottery. Yeah, it's born same. on third. Hey, Tristan, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, you know who would say something like that? It sounds like a poor dad. Poor dad energy today. Some poor dad energy. Okay, here's your here's your bonus question. What are capital gains? <laughs> a a pay raise or job promotion. B profit from the sale of property or investment. C, buying expensive real estate, or D, earning a profit for someone else's business? B. No? Rich dad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I unfortunately do kind of know what this is. It's just like it's returns on investments generally, yeah. right? But uh, yeah, It looks like we have but, two rich dads. Yeah. Well, because they ask you when you fill out your 1040, you, yeah. what they ask you on your taxes, they're like, do you have capital gains? And you're, and you're me. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what? All right. So now that we've, now that we've 
gotten our all-star moment, I'll tell you who's the rich dad. And Well, I think you know who the rich dad is here, folks. <laughs> uh, congratulations, Megan. You're the rich dad. Um, <laughs> although, although I will say, um, Tristan uh, came out on top on a very interesting question. The first lesson that Kiyosaki's rich dad taught him was, in fact, that the rich do not work for money. It's Damn. Not- all right, yeah. so he's one. He's rich one of dad, those like dad. pure blood sociopath. Yeah, is it because right? your money makes money for you? Is it because of like return on your investments? Exactly. How do rich people come yeah. become rich? It's right in the test. It's like you don't do the test in order. You look at f- how you get the answers later. Acquiring assets gotcha. that produce money is how rich people become rich. Bing, bang, boom. Ergo, heretofore, rich dad, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll buy more. I'll buy more properties. I'll monopoly this shit. <laughs> Go to jail. God, why Go didn't I know that? Uh, I mean, I think. Uh, thank you for participating in this in this non sequitur where we where we all end up uh, ashamed at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, big ups to my rich dad and my poor dad. Good game. Good, good game, Katie. That very, was, very. This is not easy material to come up with something funny about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this has been Better Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod, and email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you have a funnier description of colonial uniforms than ashy buttocks. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good. Uh, our intro music is Left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review, subscribe. Next week, we have Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, and we have Of Mice and Men on the Way. Thanks, comrades. (laughs) 